0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out all the stuff we've been riding and reviewing recently over at blisterreview.com. And if you are planning to visit the Gunnison Valley soon, please make sure you're up to date on the current camping regulations which have changed recently. We've included a link in the show notes with everything you need to know. Okay, so today on the show, I'm talking with Matt Gilman, who manages to ride trials and work full-time as a bike mechanic, despite being almost entirely blind. Matt's perseverance and attitude are remarkable, and he's a great storyteller with a whole lot to share. So let's get right into my conversation with Matt. Hey, Matt, thank you for coming on Bikes and Big Ideas. How are you today and where are you today?
1: Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I am on my back deck at my house. Um, I'm doing good. Long day of work in the bike shop, but you know, enjoying the outside weather, we have nice 75 degree temperature day right now which is amazing for the end of july so i uh i i'm a naturist at heart so i like to be outside as much as possible especially since i work in the back of a bike shop and don't get to enjoy the outdoors often
0: yeah fair enough and uh for those listening, where is your house? Where are you getting this nice 75 degree weather?
1: Uh this is a very freak thing. Um, because normally it's not like this. Uh I'm in Baltimore, uh just well, I'm in Baltimore County, just in Maryland, just uh just outside the city. And uh we had a cold front come through two days ago and gave us amazing weather for two days. And it's supposed to be get, get hot and steamy tomorrow, so it's not going to be as nice as it is right now. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it while you can then. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Well, as we'll get into here, Matt, I think your story is pretty remarkable. And as we'll talk about in a few culminating with you riding trials blind, but let's back up a little bit to start from the beginning. And how did you first get into bikes and what role did they play in your life before you lost your sight?
1: Oh, man. Bikes have always kind of been a thing in my life. I was never a big team sport person. I jump between bikes and skateboards pretty regularly. And when I was... Let's see. I think six, um, six or seven, I rented the movie Red from the video rental store. And that turned me into wanting to do tricks and ride BMX bikes and jump everything I could find and pair that with a skateboarding um, that was like extreme sport 101, I guess. And that was kind of what set me down the path that I've been in all my life. And I went from a BMX and as a small kid trying to maneuver a big BMX bike around and not doing it well. um, Once I got older and got stronger bikes became easier to throw around and i got heavier into bmx into my teenage years got myself a job at a bike shop at the age of uh, 14 going on 15 and never looked back i rode bmx mountain bikes road bikes trials um i've done it all and i've always wanted to be on a bike and just being in the woods, riding a mountain bike, or in the woods, dirt jumping, or in the woods on a trials bike, has always been like where I feel the most comfortable and at home. Just bikes have always kind of been my thing. Like I, I don't know what it is. Like it's always been that freedom of just being able to get on your bike and ride anywhere. Like I would, at a young age, like nine years old, I would just ride all over not just the neighborhood but all over the area places that my parents didn't know i was because i probably shouldn't have been going so far away just the freedom of a bike was amazing
0: yeah bikes are pretty great for that and i can certainly relate to kind of that lifelong just hooked as a kid and stuck with it here we are so i guess as we already alluded to a little bit a little later in life, though, you unfortunately started to lose your sight due to diabetes. If I have it, right? <laughs> yeah. And so when your, when your vision started to fade a little bit, how kind of did you respond to that? And how did that impact your riding? Was it something that you took seriously pretty quickly? Or was it sort of more like it had to get pretty bad? And things had to really deteriorate before you kind of confronted the problem?
1: It kinda came on quick with me, um, or at least I noticed it quickly. I never noticed it when I was riding a bike, I guess because I was never really focused in on like finer details as much, but when I really noticed it, I was actually working at a Toyota dealership as a auto technician and I was driving home from work one day and all the street signs looked really blurry. Like, you know, the big uh green signs that are intersections and stop signs where I could see that it was a stop sign or a road sign, but all the letters were really foggy and like blurry. So I was like, man, you know, I just, I need glasses. At that point, I had 20, 20 vision all the way up from, you know, childhood all the way up into my twenties. I I was 24 at the time when I noticed all this kind of happening and my whole family wore glasses so i was like you know it's just time for me to get glasses and i ended up going to my eye doctor and the sad thing is it was a juvenile eye doctor that i went to because i hadn't been to an eye doctor in years and as a diabetic uh we're supposed to see uh eye doctors every year and at the age of 24 Living on my own since I was eighteen, I just hadn't done it. So things had kinda gotten worse without me really knowing it. Where if I had been more proactive and seeing my doctor, I probably would have gotten ahead of this a little bit. But I realized that just going to an eye doctor that was a kid's eye doctor, you know, cough cough question <laughs> had no idea. Um he was like, you know, this is I was I said I needed glasses and he goes, This is the worst case of diabetic retinopathy I've ever seen. You need to go see a retina specialist. We're making an appointment for you like today. You're gotta go. Like you have an appointment like tomorrow. Don't miss it. Like terrifying me, telling me how severe it was for me to go and how important it was. So I got a little nervous and scared. So obviously I went. And the diabetic or the uh, retina specialist told me that my diabetic retinopathy was the worst case he had ever seen and kind of proceeded to tell me my options between I could do nothing and he said I'd be completely blind within 10 years, like pitch black, no light, no nothing. Or I could go through surgery and what they essentially are doing is... It was kind of like a two-part process. They would do like in-the-office laser surgeries. And well, let me back up a little bit. Diabetic retinopathy is essentially blood vessels that grow around the retina that shouldn't be growing there. So what they do is they start growing and get bigger and bigger, and they start pulling on the retina and almost like vining around the retina so you can't see through the blood vessels. So the idea is to... Do laser surgery to kill off the blood vessels, but as soon as you do that, um, the vessels hemorrhage and then you get blood in your eye that you can't see through so after a laser surgery, within a week or two, I'd have to go get like a, a real surgery like put under an anesthesia at the hospital and cut my eye open and clean out all the uh, it's gonna get a little graphic. <laughs> Clean out all the jelly in your eye and replace it with a like a, a and then well he's replaced it with like a, a salt water solution basically saline and um and then that process repeated itself twenty two times, so eleven times in each eye went through that many surgeries and my left eye got really badly detached the retina so that I can't really see anything out of anymore, but my right eye. Um, I had a partial detach, but the blood vessels were pretty vigorous where I couldn't, like, all the laser and the surgeries weren't stopping them like they should have been. And he ended up putting a um, a silicone oil in my right eye to, one, to help stop the the growth of the blood vessels, but two is if any of them did hemorrhage and bleed, that it would push the blood outside of my um, my vision area, which isn't very big. And so, that was good for a while and it's slowly been deteriorating. I haven't had a surgery since 2006-ish. He's offered to go in and clean stuff up, but there's no guarantees that it would get better and there's a potential that it could get worse. And at this point, like, I can't see the hand in front of my face. I can't. I can see light and dark. That's about it. Like, if there's a bright enough light on a color object, such as like a bike frame, for instance, like a red frame. If the light lighting's just right, I can see the red in the frame, or the black, or the blue, or whatever color it is. Um, But if it's like a piece of paper. Uh, like a small like post-it note and a color I can't tell what color it is like when I used to uh, walk around before I got a cane and everything I could tell the contrast between a sidewalk and grass and I could kind of just stay on the sidewalk and now I don't even see that because it's slowly been getting worse and worse over the years and when I put out my first video I could see like three feet in front of my face. I could kind of see my hand and move it and everything. But that was back in 2007, 2008. So over the years, it's getting worse and worse, which is... It's fine. I've accepted it and I'm cool with it. It's just the fact that I'm happy that I can see light, light and dark. I can tell when lights are on in a building or in a house, but I can't... Or like if, if it's sunny out or cloudy... I get that but um you know I just can't use it like I was with riding early on so I've, my riding has evolved over time differently because of my vision and one of the things I actually started doing when I when I was riding is I would close my eyes because I would see something that wasn't there or at least I would think I'd see something like a shadow would like pop out and I'd be like oh no, there's something there. I'm going to hit it. And they were like, my friends would be like, there's nothing there. I'd be like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, that was just my eyes playing tricks on me. So early on, I started riding with my eyes closed a lot more just to kind of like get out of my own head, which has kind of benefited me to the way I ride now, because now I can ride eyes open or closed or blindfold or whatever. And it literally nothing changes. It's a weird funky story. <laughs>
0: yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> we'll get a bit more into your your current riding in a little bit here, but one thing that I'm curious about is you know, you you had this sort of lifelong interest and passion for bikes and started to lose your vision. I'd just be curious to hear more about once things really started to deteriorate how long did it take for you to get back on a bike? And, you know, maybe I'm lacking imagination here, but I'm guessing you didn't dive straight into trials once you made your first <laughs> forays back onto a, a bike. How did that go?
1: How did that look? So this is kind of a weird thing that people don't quite know that much about. Um, well, when I was going through my eye surgeries, my doctor was like, look, you can't do any activity. He's like, I want you to sit around, literally do nothing. I don't want you to get your heart rate up your blood pressure up because that can damage, you know, make those fragile blood vessels hemorrhage. And I was like, cool, I'm not going to do anything. And I just would sit around the house like bored to death. And I would go to my basement and sit on all my different bikes, you know, BMX bikes, trials bike, mountain biking, just kind of like close my eyes and sit on them and, and imagine what I could do. And Granted, during this time over that two year span from two thousand four to two thousand six when I was going through all these eye surgeries, I uh like when the blood vessels would hemorrhage, I couldn't see. And then I'd have a surgery. After a week or two of healing, I could start seeing pretty well again to the point where I could literally drive a car. And whether I should have been or not, I did it. I probably shouldn't have. Um definitely at certain points I shouldn't have. Um But it was kind of on and off, on and off, and I stayed positive the whole time because of that. Like it was never like all of a sudden I couldn't see, and it was never going to get better. I was like, "Nope, I'll get a surgery. I'll feel better. Like I'll be able to see." So I was always like thinking, like glasses half full, things are going to get better. And but you know, just the fact that I couldn't ride my bike the whole time, it just I missed it because it was a passion of mine, and I enjoyed it, and it gave me the freedom and just the feeling, you know, just riding. It was, it's an amazing feeling. And realizing that that was getting robbed from me um, and the fact that my doctor's like, you can't do anything. I got my friend to um, go, out, go out with him and ride and I ended up buying a video camera. So when I could see enough to drive to a spot instead of riding... I would just bring out the camera and push him to ride. So I would just film and I started editing, learning how to edit videos and, you know, just kind of on the side because as I'm sitting around the house doing nothing, uh, cause I'm not allowed to get my heart rate up and wasn't allowed to work and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was trying to figure out how to edit and that was just fun for me. And then once like, they decided they weren't doing any more surgeries, put the silicone oil in my eye. In 2006, I was like, all right, now I can't really edit and film. I was like, I need to figure out how to ride. And the doctor gave me the okay to go like exercise. So I was like, cool. And I got on my bikes and I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't see how am I going to ride any of these. So I was like, mountain bikes... I was like, that'd be cool. I could trail someone and, and ride. But I was like, you know what? When I'm riding through the woods, and I've done this because you know I used to mountain bike a lot, trees don't move when you hit them. And when you can see them, it's one thing. When you can't see them and it catches you off guard, catches a handlebar or something, it's a little terrifying. So I was like, uh, I'm not going to do that. I was like, uh, as much as I want to, I'm not going to do it. So then I was like, oh, my BMX bike, because I was really into BMX at the time. Or like right before my surgery started, I was 50-50 in BMX and trials. Those were like my two go-tos. And I was like, oh, BMX, I can can go manual. I could go ride a skate park. And I was like, but wait, hold on. I can't know where a ledge is to like do a grind. I couldn't dirt jump. I was like, this isn't like, how is this going to work? And then I was like, hmm, trials bike. I was like, that's so slow. I don't have to move. I'm barely moving. And if something goes wrong, I can basically step off. Like, this is like a no-brainer. And so I got my trials bike thinking, like, this was going to be the easiest thing because it's the safest because of the, the slow speeds. Nothing can jump out and, like, I won't flip over the bars hitting a tree or, you know, hitting a curb and dying, trying to bunny hop a curb. Little did I know that when I grabbed my trials bike and took it out front of my house to uh, jump on and off the curb like I had done a trillion times before, um, I quickly realized that I couldn't actually track stand without sight. I had to relearn how to ride. Um, And when I do like school demos and stuff, I have the kids, not all of them because it depends on the... uh, this situation, if they're all in bleachers, this is not a safe thing to do. But I always tell people this is a good way to kind of get this sense of how I balance. Um, if you stand on one foot and put your close your eyes and see how long you can stand on one foot. And it's kind of like track standing on a bike without sight. Your whole equilibrium gets thrown off because your vision is such a high Percentage of balance that you don't realize until it's not there. And when I got on my bike to track stand, I just couldn't figure it out. And I just put, I tried it for like a half hour and I was like, this isn't really working. Like, I need to see. So I put my bike away, got really depressed, disappointed. I was like, there's no way I can do this. Like, what am I going to do? So lying in bed that night, I was like, you know, let me. Like I'm a problem solver. I try and figure out problems and, and fix things for myself and for other people. And I was sitting there going like there's gotta be a way I can do this. And I was like, the only way I can figure it out is just to like try it. Like I can't just give up on a half hour of trying. So the next day, and I don't suggest anyone do this, but the next day I grabbed my bike and sat in my living room. Instead of going outside, I literally just sat in my living room in Treks and just practiced and tried to figure out like how to feel the balance again. It was like relearning how to ride a bike all over again. And I had worked on it and worked on it. And I never told anyone. And I was living with my, well, now wife at the time, but she was my girlfriend. And I never told her that I was doing it. Like, And I never told her I went out front to ride a bike. It just kind of kept it hush-hush because... I didn't want to get yelled at like you're going to kill yourself. I don't want you to die. Like I was home alone a lot so I, all the neighbors were gone and grabbing a bike and going out front as a newly fresh blind guy was probably not the smartest move. Nor was walking to the Dunkin' Donuts across a four-lane road without a cane in sight was not a smart move either, but these are the things that I do occasionally. Um but I ended up learning how to track stand in the in my um, living room, and what I did was I grabbed my bike and took it outside. And after I got that skill down, and went to the curb and said, "All right, I got to jump on the curb." Like, and that was a whole new set of challenges, trying to spatially figure out like the curbs in front of me. And I know that my front wheel can touch it, but and I can just get up on it. But once my front wheel's not touching it, and I'm doing a track stand, three inches or six inches or two feet away, where's the curve? Like because as we all know, when you're track standing, you're moving a lot. You're not just standing perfectly still. So you're you're adjusting. So front wheel's moving one way, the back wheel's moving a little bit the other way, and quickly you turn without realizing it and i had to learn how to spatially figure out where i was and trust my instincts and where I, where i thought i was which was a learned skill and i had to learn techniques that worked for me to to just stay straight and that's something that no one taught me no one's told me i don't think i've ever heard anyone else think that way like i'm friends with other blind people that do you know riding and skating and all sorts of stuff but none of them have kind of had this weird experience because none of them are doing like trek stands like i am so there was no one i could like sound off on this so this was all like a learned skill that i had to overcome myself with no direction and just learning this spatial awareness of where things were that you know, like when i go to ride on something i'll touch something i'll walk it i'll check out er, everything out make sure one i'm safe and two i know what is that i'm trying to go on and off of and i kind of paint this picture in my head is kind of how it's evolved for me and i'm you know putting it a, a like a photographic memory in my head and I just remember it. And it's become this thing where I don't have to think too much. Like once I touch it, I'm like, okay, I got it. And I can just kind of go. And I've learned that, but for many years, it was touch and go of like, how can I do this? How should I do that? And just the, like it's helped me out with just like general navigation as a blind person with a white cane to be able to know what's around me and what i'm coming up to and i i've seen and been around a lot of blind people that struggle to just walk out of their house on their own and i feel like i'm leaps and bounds ahead of them because of the bike which has made my life better overall that's
0: really interesting and i am really curious to get a bit more into this sort of What your riding process looks like these days. I mean, I'm, I guess for myself, I'm a kind of a mostly a mountain biker with a background primarily in downhill. And so I don't have a whole lot of trial skills to speak of in general. So a lot of trial stuff is sort of incomprehensible to me, just categorically cited or otherwise. But I mean, on some level, I can imagine how trials would be, I guess, less impossible, might be the way to put it, to do sort of by feel and sort of just having the spatial orientation in your head to map things out by feel and then go on that as compared to say riding a dh track or something but it's still pretty incredible to me that you're able to do that and so when you're going out and riding somewhere unfamiliar i guess well one i'd be curious how often you do that versus sticking to you know, however many familiar spots that you have mapped out really well. But then also, when you are at a new place, how much are you just doing it yourself and going, feeling the place out and then going based on what you found by touch? Or do you have someone coming with you to kind of describe the way of the land to you? Or how do you go about that whole process of learning somewhere new?
1: Yeah, so it's actually it depends. So there's a, a bunch of different processes. Um, one I've ridden so many spots so many times that I know them and I don't really have to navigate them anymore. Just kind of go and just show up and ride them. Like I just touch it and I'm like, okay, here I go. And I'm moving. You know what I mean? Um, over the past, mainly this year, um, the past couple of years i've been trying to push um new stuff like i love going to ride new stuff i i'm the first person to go anywhere to go check something new out to learn ride something fresh and that's not the same i hate the repetitive boring it gets boring to me um so this year mainly like so Last year, obviously, COVID and all that craziness, um, and I was way overworked and barely rode my bike because I was just too tired to function at the end of the day. Um, But in 2019 and 2018, I looped out a lot on my back wheel and hit my back a bunch where I kind of just put riding on the back burner for a little bit to just kind of heal. And... I was real scared of riding my bike. I got spooked and I was like, oh, maybe I'm getting too old for what I'm doing and I just need to take a back seat. And, you know, 2020 and all that craziness kind of got a fire under my butt where this year I've been like, I want to ride, got to go get back on the bike. And the thing I'd realized is that the bike I was riding, Um, the geometry is on the trials bike I was riding was more modern and more like what most of the trials riders are doing these days is all rear wheel all the time. They stay on the rear wheel constantly through everything. And that's just not my style, but the bike that I had, and I just bought it in 2018, a newer bike and the geometry was designed for that, which didn't work well for me. And I learned on a lower bottom bracket bike. So I realized once I built up, I built up an error specific bike, like everyone's been doing with everything um, this past year um, from 2006 that I've been riding, which was the same bike I rode in my first video, but just a longer version. Um, So, and that just, Fits my style so much better. And I've realized that it was more the bike than it was me because I can ride this bike so much better. So that has kind of got me wanting to do more than I've wanted to in the past couple of years. So I've, this year, I've pushed riding on rocks a lot. So and rocks are very unique, obviously, because they're, every inch you're on is different than another inch, an inch next to it. So you could ride the same two rocks all day long and you go an inch left or an inch right from your line. It's totally different. It's a different feel. And that is super exciting to me just to kind of like figure out. it's It's like almost like the next level for me trying to figure out how to like handle riding that. And I've always liked to ride rocks to an extent, but I've never really pushed riding rocks real heavy because um the square ledges and the the flat, even consistency has always been the easiest for me because of my vision. But uh riding rocks has brought out a whole new excitement that I didn't I never well I, had at one point but i haven't had in years and that's what i've been pushing for a lot recently um and like when i go ride i typically ride with one friend um occasionally a couple others Um uh, but me and my one friend bill we ride constantly together every week and i don't it depends on what i'm riding and how dangerous it is uh so like For instance, like if I go ride in urban area, he just says here, we're here. And I literally walk around because I know where I'm at and go, you know, just go ride. No, he doesn't need to be there. Like he literally could just drop me off in the parking lot and I could go figure it out on my own. But when I end up on rocks and some weird spots, like where I might need like a navigator or a minder or something where there's... Potential for danger falling, you know, um, I'll have him like, make sure like if I'm getting too close to an edge and I'll say, Hey, like if I come over towards this area, let me know. Um, and, but normally I just ride on my own. I do it all by feel and sense. I typically don't have anyone telling me like, you got to go this way. You got to go that way. Unless one, I need. I want it to look cleaner and smoother for a video part, or if there's a potential for me falling off the side of something. Um, but, or, or I guess the, the other situation was in a competition when I do comps, I can't remember each section and all the obstacles in each section and how to get over them. It's too much for my brain to handle to remember. So he'll, Say hey, you gotta go this way. You gotta go that way. You gotta you know up here. You know, watch your front wheel. Blah blah blah. And we'll go through all that process. But generally, like when I do a, a demo, I've got my setup laid out, and I no one tells me like you gotta go this way. You gotta go that way. Unless like by chance I'm like literally on the edge, and they're like oh whoa 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 like you're on the edge. You know. But typically, like it's all on me. I'm not. I I don't use like any kind of guidance and I don't know why that is. It's just kind of the way I've learned to do it. And it's not that I don't like the guidance, but sometimes like, sometimes I need it, but sometimes I'm just, it gets, it gets, uh, like I've got it in my head and they're throwing out something that I'm like not at or, you know, I'm not even thinking about, it. they'll be like, Oh, there's a rock to your right. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm nowhere near that. Like, and they're like, Oh yeah, you're right. And I'm like, exactly. Like, so it's just, it's almost too much feedback at some points. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, At some, at some level that makes sense to me. I mean, just thinking about myself riding something that's kind of, you know, on some level pushing my abilities a little bit, I, you know, I don't necessarily, obviously like I have, sort of a different set of challenges to deal with when I'm not having to kind of locate myself in the same way that you might be. But not wanting to have someone just kind of calling things out and interrupting the process that your brain's at of mapping everything out and kind of doing your thing makes a lot of sense to me. The The bit about riding on rock is blowing my mind a little bit, though. Most of the videos I've seen of you are on more man-made stuff where everything's kind of more square edges and yeah. flat surfaces and stuff, which, uh, you know, like you were saying, it's a lot easier to imagine how you can map that out in your head. Whereas on weird organic shapes where you've got little minute changes, just every half inch, you know, that's, that's obviously a much yeah. bigger challenge to, to deal with.
1: Yeah. It changes the whole
0: dynamic. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty impressive that you're able to make that work
1: sometimes <laughs> <Not> <laughs> yeah i'm time. sure it's not I, a... would just, I would say it's probably 10 of the time it works 90 it doesn't so <laughs> but it's fun and it's a challenge like I, I like to push myself into like if it's too easy i get bored really quick so you know the progression is the rocks and you know i people are always asking me like when are you put out another video when are you put out another video and i'm like I'm constantly always filming, but it's whether I can actually pull it for one, because I always push myself really hard to, 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 if I'm going to get a video clip, I'm pushing myself really hard. And the times that I'm not pushing myself, I don't think are quality enough moves for a video clip. That being said, people watch some of my video clips and go, Oh, I can do that. And I'm like, yeah, well most people can do anything that I'm doing because you know, you guys can all see. I'm like, I expect anyone who can see to do everything I can do. But when I'm doing it, I'm like pushing myself to my limits, which may not show as dramatically in a video clip, but it's, and you know, I, I hold a lot of like weird clips in that I don't, post out because you know they're more for me to say yeah i did this you know it's just it's that weird like self-improvement
0: yeah that makes sense but also uh, i promise i cannot do everything that you do on a trials bike i
1: (laughs) i i expect everyone to be able to do everything i can do if any trials i always say if any trials rider i ride with a bunch of different people and i always i push them. I'm like, Hey, look, if, if, if you can't do this and I can, you have no excuses, you should be doing this. Like you can see, like you have no, like, unless they're like way below my level, I don't do that. But like people that are around my level, I'm like pushing, I'm, like, come on, like you can do this. This is easy. You got it. Like, and I'm like, if you can't do this, and you're letting a blind guy beat you. Then you have no excuse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess in my defense, I have, maybe literally never ridden an actual trials bike so there's that but uh <laughs> still what the, the stuff you're doing is awfully impressive to me
1: here's a good example i did a uh demo down in uh mass at the mountain for some mountain bike festival thing and uh it was one of the pro i think he was riding for specialized or something one of the pro uh like enduro guys was out there and he was on a full suspension bike. He's like, yeah, I used to ride trials like years ago. And I'm like, cool. And he's literally jumping all over my demo setup like I am on his full suspension mountain bike and riding better than me. I was like, see, you should be doing these demos, not me. I was like, you're better than me. like. And he was the first one to lie down and let me jump over him because he understood the situation because I was like, I need someone to jump over. and But it was just the fact that like, you know, it was... I, I didn't feel bad that someone else was like doing all my stuff and we were pushing each other like I was doing something and he would do it or he would do something I'd be like oh can I do that and like we'd push each other but it was just it was weird like you the blind guy on a trails bike versus a fully sighted guy on a full suspension mountain bike and he's killing it and I was like man you need to get a trials bike again but it's, it's it can be done so I don't want to hear any excuses you got it
0: Yeah, I think everyone listening this is certainly going to be appreciative of the disadvantage you're working from and uh, pretty understanding of that. And speaking of sort of working at a disadvantage, uh, if the blind trials riding wasn't impressive enough, like we kind of alluded to, you also have been working as a bike mechanic for a long time. And how long have you been working as a mechanic? And how have you kind of made that work, given your loss of sight?
1: uh i've been a mechanic since nineteen ninety four ninety five so I think i'm going on twenty seven twenty eight years as a mechanic and um there was a couple years where i went to go work on cars, but I was still working part time at the bike shop and then my vision uh, crapped out and didn't work for a little bit going through that um but when i once my doctor gave me the okay to get back to work first thing i did was like hey can i come back to work um at the bike shop and the owner was like um sure come in and build bikes you can hang out and i was like cool so i built bikes and built them badly and had to figure out how to do things differently and it was a a challenge, but I would come in like two, three days a week, and it was more just to get me out of the house. Like I, going through all my disability and vision loss, I never had anyone around me saying, "Well, I didn't shouldn't say I didn't have anyone, but it, I didn't have the right people around me saying like these are all the things you can do as a blind person." No one said that because. Like I think it's the statistics are seventy percent of blind people don't work, and the other thirty percent do work, but at a limited. Well, not thirty, but like another percentage works at, at a limited fashion, and then like they say, like less than one percent of blind people like own a house and things like that. Like it just dramatically drops off, and you know I didn't, you know, put all this together at the time, but I was like. I just wanted to get out of the house be around people again. So I started building bikes at the bike shop just to kind of get out of the house. So I was getting paid per bike instead of hourly. And you know, over time my skills got better and I was like I I knew how to fix everything. I just didn't know how to do it without sight. And I was just trying to like figure out my new techniques just like with riding. And at the time I didn't put two and two together of like I knew when I was riding trying to get back on the bike I had to figure out new processes to do it because it was a totally different way of approaching things. But when I started working on bikes I was like I don't like whether I see or not nothing changed. Like you know, I had to it was just the same because everything's done by feel when you're working on a bike anyways almost um and I but once I got into it i was like wow this is i got to learn new techniques and so once i kind of figured those out and established what worked for me and it's always kind of well not so much anymore but for first couple years it was a you know every new thing was like a new learned process um i quickly said like i'm bored building bikes can i do repairs and they're like no like we can't trust you like we can't check over your repairs. Like we can check over your bike builds. And I was like, well, how do I get to doing that? And I was like, and they were like, I don't know. We'll have to think about it. So what I ended up doing was like saying, all right, well, I'm going to make sure my bike builds are like dialed. Like there, I don't want there to be any question. Like they've got to be dialed every time. And quickly, like I, you know, I don't like when I first started building a bike, after losing my sight, it took me a little bit longer than normal. And then, you know, over time it got quicker and quicker, you know, just a bike out of a box. And, um, uh, once I made sure those were all dialed, then I was like, all right, like, can I do some repairs? Like you can check it over, but you won't need to, you know what I mean? Cause I always wanted to head mechanics anyways, prior to my vision loss. So now it's just trying to get back to where I was. And they finally like said, okay, I was like, I'm really bored. I don't want to do this anymore. I built so many bikes. And uh and at this point I was working there. I wasn't like just doing piecework. Um so they finally let me and then I quickly rose to being the head mechanic. And I was the head mechanic there for maybe ten, eleven years at that point. Um and this is after I'd lost my sight. And, um, you know, I was doing everything. I was drivetrain Queens and, you know, building bikes, building wheels. Um, I didn't really do suspension work there. Uh, the shop I'm working at now I'm doing a lot of suspension overhauls. Um, I'm probably one of the best wheel builders in Maryland. Um, I build wheels for tons of BMX people. Uh, my kids race at the BMX track down the street and it just kind of started with me building some wheels and bikes for some people here and there is like and then it kind of spread and now people like reach out to me to build wheels and bikes for them and you know I'm well known in the community as like you know the guy to go to like if you want something like dialed in and perfect the only thing i can't do is get a stem straight to save my life um <laughs> Occasionally I get it, but that's, I'm like, that's my disclaimer. It's like I can't get a stem straight, but I can get a bar straight in a stem, but I can't get a stem straight on a fork.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you do that one, by feel. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, also well, in contrast to my non-existent trial skills, uh, I'd like to think I am a pretty good mechanic and I did work in a shop for quite a long time as one. And in prepping for this episode, I was sort of just thinking through all of the various tasks that one goes through is in the course of being a shop mechanic and uh, thinking about how I would approach doing them, doing them blind. And, you know, I think kind of like you said, uh, I can definitely imagine myself learning to do stuff like adjust railers and what have you kind of by feel and sound with some practice, obviously, I'm not going to nail it right out of the gate. And I do think I could figure out how to build a wheel blind if you gave me about a week to (laughs) mess around the first time. But The suspension overhaul one is actually the one that kind of blows my mind the most out of this, Uh, that, you know, just getting and I can only imagine that in order to do all this stuff, it's pretty critical for you to have your workspace just super well organized so that your stuff is exactly at hand where you expect it to be and can find everything that you need. If you were working from my disaster of a workbench, you'd be in real trouble, but that's a fair assumption, I'm guessing
1: oh yes my bench is like spotless I clean up every time I work on a bike it, everything goes back and then I start with fresh like literally like it's spotless and like people clutter my bench with like parts like hey you know what this is for? i'm like uh it's for this repair coming up i'm like okay and then they leave it there and I'm like no like I got all this stuff but I like to have a spotless clean bench that i can just You know, I pull down whatever tools I need, and then they go back at the end of that repair.
0: But you're not putting everything, like, tools back one at a time as you're touching them? You'll kind of pull out all the stuff that you need to...
1: No, no. Like, I'll pull a Y wrench down, use it, throw it down on the bench, screwdriver, throw it down on the bench. Like, if I need a hanger tool, a a hanger, derail your hanger alignment tool you know, that goes back, um, because that's big and bulky and it's used once, but like wire wrench screwdriver and things like that that are used frequently, they just kind of get thrown on the bench or sometimes in my back pocket. Um, but with like suspension stuff, that was a learned, I had to learn that one recently because the last shop I was working at that I'd worked at for 20 years, um, you know, in the nineties and, or even, you know, nineties suspension overhauls were so simple and stupid, you know, like you didn't even have to do anything. Um But in, in the two thousands when um seals and everything were only lasting for two years, we were doing a lot of the suspension service, like send it to Q or whoever um or direct a Fox and just have them do it and then bring it back. And then, in the 2010 ish era, um, that's when companies were like, you know, you, we're keeping seals and um, kits like are now not expired after two years. Like, if you have a two year old fork, you can't get it serviced. It was like, now we're making it last longer. So, a couple of the guys at the shop started doing suspension overhauls, and I was like, ooh, I should get into that. And then I just never did because I had my hands full with all the other crap that no one else wanted to touch. Literally. Like I would work on, you know, cause you know, I've been doing it forever. I can work on anything from like the sixties and seventies. Not that I, I absolutely despise those bikes, but um, I can work on them and where some of the newer, younger guys just don't have the skills to be able to put that together. You know what I mean? Like to make it work as well as I could. I mean, I'd still work on nice bikes, but at any time a suspension overhaul would show up, they'd be like, oh, I got it. And I'd be like, all right, cool. Like, I don't really want to touch it anyways. But when I went to this new shop um, the other year, they were like, yeah, you need to do some suspension work. I'm like, "Ah, oh, crap. I haven't done that since the 90s. And I was like, I haven't done any of these modern ones. So did a lot of research and figured out um, different ways of measuring. Cause measuring the oils and stuff and how much to put in. And obviously I need someone to say, Hey, this is, you know, 30 weight or 20 weight or whatever it is. Um, like once I have it all on my bench, I had, I came up with like different measuring tools and syringes and going like, all right. So if I fill this up, this is so much, you know? So I kind of figured out like little workarounds that work for me and I've done, I did like five or six suspensions over the winter and like two or three rear shocks. And I'd never pull apart a part of rear shock before. And I was like, Oh, this is super easy. Like, it's not hard. It's, I think it's more intimidating than, you know, just thinking about it than it actually is when you're in the process, you know? And I've definitely called like tech guys, at, you know, rock shocks or whatever to say, Hey, like I'm doing this. Like, And the funny thing is when I call these places, I never say, hey, it's a blind guy doing this. I'm just like, hey, I'm doing this. Like, you know, what's what do I have to do here? Like, And it's worked out and everyone's been happy. So it's, you know, no issues. And, you know, like I work on DI2 and ETAP and all that kind of fun stuff too. So I I do it all. The only thing I haven't gotten into working on yet is the e-bike stuff. Like one i don't really have a desire to deal with it and two i i don't know how much i can do because it's so computer oriented and they don't have like my my job and just uh in general like the the accessibility talking software with computers is just not there for me where i'm working although i'm trying to kind of push to get it but when I, if I get that, that just puts more on my plate and I've already got enough on my plate, so I'm not pushing real hard. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough.
0: If you're staying busy, then let someone yeah. else handle that. That seems perfectly reasonable. Yeah, exactly. Well, this might be a little bit of an unfair question given how much we've already talked about and how much just truly impressive stuff on your end we've covered, but.
1: You can't offend me. <laughs> That's good.
0: The name of this podcast, after all, is bikes and big ideas. So, if you had to throw out what your big idea is at the moment, and this could be anything, go crazy. What would you say that is?
1: (laughs) Actually, I've got a ton of big ideas. I guess the one that I've been focused on mostly recently, um, and is this, has been an idea in my head for, uh, geez, since two thousand eight, two thousand nine era um i i don't know who to how to make it happen or who to talk to or whatever and it's not necessarily it's not like for me per se but my idea is to i want to get like a documentary video or something going showcasing um people with disabilities that are doing amazing things like for instance, like uh obviously like me as going through a uh, vision loss and getting on a trials bike. I'm I'm the only one in the world, literally like and I've been hesitant to say this for years because I didn't know you know, the trials bike community is a real small community. We kind of all know each other around the world. But for years I was like always waiting for someone else to say, Hey, I can't see and I'm doing this too. Um but I'm the only one that's been out there for, you know, since 2007, 2008, since I put out my first video um, saying, hey, blind bike trials guy, like riding. And no one else has really kind of come up and said, hey, I'm, you know, can't see and I'm doing it too. I've had a couple of people say, like, yeah, I can't see, but I can still drive a car. And I'm like, you kind of don't. Like, you need glasses, but I can't drive a car. I can't see. So. Now I'm saying I'm the only one in the world doing what I'm doing. So, you know, I'm a unique um, individual in that circumstance. So, but the idea is to have like, for for instance, uh, last night on the X Games, there was a skateboarder who was in the X Games with no legs below the knees. And he was skating, like on his knees, essentially. And like in the X Games, doing amazing stuff. Like that guy to me is amazing. Like I I know people like I'm friends with like Scotty Kramer who broke his back and broke his neck and is disabled and riding again. And, you know, Bobby McMullen, who's a downhill mountain biker who's blind and there's a blind surfer and there's um, all sorts of people out there. There's, you know, wheelchair guys doing amazing things on like downhill racing. Like I want to have like a documentary or a video or something and I would love to get it on like Netflix or something big or played in theaters of just like talking and showing the abilities of these people to show the world what people are doing that, you know, it's unexpected. You know what I mean? and you know i don't expect to get money from it or anything i just want to get it out there and just get these people known to the world more than um you know just your normal average person you know what i mean like it's and i would love to find someone who can make this happen cuz i have this it's an idea but i just don't literally don't know the processes and the steps i need to take and who i need to talk to to make it happen And I'm in contact with a lot of these people that are, you know, disabled, that have gone through some kind of trauma in their life and gotten back to where they once were or close to where they once were on whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's a bike, a skateboard, a surfboard, you know, whatever it is. And just the idea of the perseverance behind these and these people's drive to do their passion and i just want to get their story showcased to the world and that's that's my goal that's my big idea i just i haven't figured out how to do it yet
0: that's a pretty good one it would be really cool to see that out there and i would certainly be thrilled to watch it so that sounds great
1: i gotta figure out how to do it that's so if anyone's out there that knows how to do it reach out to me please
0: (laughs) (laughs) well matt this has been super fun and thanks for sharing your story it's an incredibly impressive one. It's been great having you on.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, I really appreciate the uh, the time and, uh, you know, it's been awesome.
0: It has. Thanks. I'll let you get going now. I know it's late where you're at, but thanks again for the chat and we'll catch up soon.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thank you.
0: That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you are enjoying these conversations, then we would really appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds to leave us a five star rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Matt for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again tomorrow over on our Gear 30 podcast, where Sam Shaheen will be making his return to talk about his trip to Denali. Bye, everybody.